with you tonight open it to the book of first chronicles chapter 17 first chronicles chapter 17 and i want to read a portion of a verse here and it reads like this first chronicles chapter 17 and verse 9 also i will ordain a place for my people israel i want to preach tonight on uh, the subject of an ordained place i also want to read a portion from acts chapter 1 and verse 20 acts 1 and 20 reads like this For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein. Let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein. I don't want to lose my place. How about you? I don't want to undervalue my place of being a child of God and end up losing what God has given us. And I really think that's what the WPF is all about, is people who say, before we can do great exploits, we have to have a place from which to launch, from which to live, from which to move forward. And I thank God for the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship and its role in accomplishing that. I looked across tonight and saw a good number of new members. and I saw their involvement and their worship and their contributions to the services and the offerings. And I thought, we all have an obligation to one another. When people come together and they trust you, then that trust is something very valuable. And it's also a responsibility that we make sure that trust is not violated. I want to be faithful to my God and I want to be faithful to my brother and sister. How about you? Amen. I want to do it in Jesus' name. So I want to preach to you for a little while tonight about an ordained place. I'm going to ask you one more time before you're seated, if you'd lift your hands with me and let's pray and ask God to touch us in the next few minutes. Would you pray with me, God, in the name of Jesus, I believe you to touch us, Lord, with a special touch tonight to guide us and to lead us and to direct our paths and direct our thoughts and direct our hearts. Come on, let's really pray. Holy Ghost. You're everything to us. You mean everything to us. We love you tonight. Amen. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. And I do want to say tonight, I appreciate my wife. I appreciate she has had to be a special woman to stay gracious and positive through uh, the labyrinth of experiences that I have drug her through life. Uh, But she's managed to do so. And I'm happy to have my children here tonight, Doug and Rebecca and Miles and Sheila and my grandchildren, Boston and London and other relatives and a whole lot of kids, I feel like, that don't share the same last name but share the same last name in the spirit. And uh, because we're all brothers and sisters, amen, together. And I thank God for that. I just want to take one moment to say tonight that I miss a very special man Crawford Kuhn from being in our midst. Uh, For me, Crawford Kuhn holds a special place. When we were trying to, uh, when before there was ever any kind of collaboration in conversation, I was preaching a meeting with Crawford Kuhn in South Carolina. We didn't even know each other real well. Of course, we knew uh, from a distance. And we were in the car after service driving Uh, either back to the motel or to get a bite to eat. And I said, Brother Kuhn, what are you going to do? 
And uh, his words were very close to this. I don't remember exact quote, but it was very close to this. Um, well, Brother Wilson, I may lose my church. I may lose my friends. I may lose my, I will lose my fellowship card. He said, I don't know anybody that plans anywhere on doing what I'm doing. But I, I know what I've got to do. And I'm going a different direction. And I thought, that's the kind of stuff that's real. He believed this thing so deep and felt that his actions were necessary to preserve this so deep that it didn't matter if anybody else did anything. He'd made up his mind what he was going to do. And I said, that's a guy I want to ride the river with. Amen. So, Bond uh, and Dan, please convey our love and prayers when you get home to our esteemed uh, second chairman. I want to preach to you for a little while tonight about an ordained place. I feel like this is a very special time in our lives. I don't feel like you and I have made these times. I think the times are upon us, and we have to learn how in the spirit to cope with them. And I think the subject of place is really important to have a revelation about. Uh, and so we want to grapple with this a little bit tonight and see if we can't get another, a better hold on it. I'm just glad to be in God's house with God's people that believe God's message. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad to be in God's house with you. Amen. Praise God. And I concur with what everyone just said. Um, in the Bible, when we talk about the subject of place, there is no subject in the Bible mentioned quicker than the subject of place. The very earliest chapter, the very earliest verse, the very earliest words talk about place, beginning with Genesis 1 and 1, uh, which tells us that in the beginning God created the heaven place and the earth place. And... Uh, Genesis chapter 1 begins with the universe and it moves forward. Now, I got, I got more preaching I'll ever get to. In fact, I, when I printed off, I just left out a bunch. Uh, then I kind of thought I shouldn't have done that. After the service last night, I thought, well, maybe I ought to just preach it all. <laughs> Amen. Uh, but I didn't, so uh, to, to my chagrin and your joy, I didn't do that. Uh, <clears throat> and so in Genesis chapter 1, beginning with the universe itself, uh, the universe is a place. There is no way to get away from this subject, a place. Uh, and uh, then it quickly funnels from the universe to the earth, and then it quickly funnels from the earth to Eden, and then it funnels a little later from Eden to Canaan. But all of it is about place, dwelling place meeting place. And when we look at the, uh, the Bible, we cannot avoid the subject, and I think therefore the Bible wants us to know uh, the importance of the subject. Now, I believe that Adam, of course, was made perfect, and uh, I personally believe that the earth was made perfect, primarily because uh, <clears throat> I have not been able to get around Isaiah forty-five eighteen, which says the, the earth was not made without form and void. Uh, which means it was made perfect. Uh, and uh, somewhere along the way, uh, something occurred that changed that, in my opinion. But my real reason for believing that cannot be used as a primary proof of, uh, of what I just said. Because my primary reason would have to use what's called regressive reasoning, that means arguing back to, and arguing back to can use to corroborate something, but it can never be used to prove something. And so uh, the reason that I think the earth was made perfect as, and fell under the curse is because man was made perfect and fell under the curse. And in the unique and profound way that the Bible gives us its message, the earth becomes the paralleling metaphor for uh, the journey of mankind. And so there is, by looking at the development of the earth, there is also 
a picture painted for us of the development of each individual in their life. And it all begins, as you know, uh, with the earth being without form and void in verse 2. Uh, and uh, we know that it was uh, the, the darkness was upon the face of the deep. So whatever else that means, it means it was deep. That's pretty profound. And uh, whatever else the deep was, we know it means it was deep. And, um, and uh, we know that it was water. Uh, so it was deep, deep water. And we are looking at this. It, it must have been a terrifying place. And you and I are looking at it behind the big glass aquarium wall of time, looking back at this, uh, this, this chaotic deep that the earth was found in. Um, and uh, uh, water in the Bible, don't have time to go into all this, but you that read some of the stuff know that water uh, in the Bible is a type repeatedly of uh, potential. Uh, it, is a, it is a, not only here in Genesis, but over and over, it is a type of potential. Uh, it is fluid and so forth. Uh, it, does, it doesn't have form at first, but it does have the potential for form, um, and it doesn't have definition to start with. Uh, there is no place on water. You can float there, but it moves around. There, this is why we call land real estate. Real means real, just like something's real, and it means that it's real as opposed to potentially as it is on water, um, and it means it has shape. If it has real estate, it has dependable borders, it has uh, something that can be built upon and something that can be stood upon and something that can sustain life. Uh, and uh, finite life demands firmness. This is why the earth is called terra firma instead of terra jelly because we couldn't live on jelly. Well, I pretty well do. But anyway, uh, you have to have terra firma. And so uh, the earth could really be something, but it will never be anything until the water has something happen to it as potential and until it could really become something. And there are many, many people and people groups who have potential I'm thinking of friends that I had as a young man that everyone talked about the potential that they had. They had all of the accolades that they would uh, be the most successful that there was. But people can get caught in that and can end up spending their whole life showing others uh, that they could really be something. Uh, but they, they stand at the line of doors called options uh, and they can never choose one and let go of the rest. Uh, and so they stand there at the door, but they never have the ability to choose and make a decision. And such a person stays liquid their entire life. They don't have form. They don't have void. Uh, they are void. They don't have formation. Uh, they will never make a selection from a long list of possibilities. They will just stand at the door. But unless fluid takes on form... Uh, the earth will never amount to anything as long as it concedes definition to its surroundings. Uh, as long as the earth allows the environment to dictate to it what it is going to become, it will never become much of anything because it will continue to acquiesce uh, to a cursed environment uh, of death. Uh, and so the spirit uh, comes, uh, and for anything to happen... This is why I believe that apostolic doctrine and apostolic power is the key to the most powerful leadership in the world because the spirit stands brooding over the liquid potential of each of us. And uh, it, it, I'm not sure of everything that brooding means, but it stands there looking at us. Uh, and thinking about us, uh, and viewing us, uh, but something has to happen. 
And the first thing that has to happen is that the Spirit of God moves upon the face of the waters. Can you say amen? And so the answer to chaos is the moving of the Spirit of God. And all of this applies to what you and I are doing here. And so somebody says, let's organize a missions program uh, or let's dream up what we're going to do. And I would propose to you, number one, that is not what the WPF has done. Number two, that is not what the WPF is about. And number three, it won't work. There has to be, first of all, uh, a people that get in the spirit and that move in the Holy Ghost uh, and that allow the Holy Ghost to form them and to give them defined borders uh, and to separate them uh, to be distinct uh, and something uh, that something can be built upon. Because as long as it remains liquid, uh, there is not going to be anything happen. The second thing that must take place uh, is, and it did, is that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. And the second thing that happened is, and God said. The Word of God speaks, and these are the pivot points of apostolic doctrine. is a move of the Spirit and the Word of God being proclaimed. And that is our basis. And I would propose to you before we go any further tonight that to get away from that is a mistake. To try to plan conferences that uh, come up with something that is better than that is a mistake. Uh, there is nothing better than the moving of the Spirit and the preaching of the Word. You cannot improve upon it. You can't do better than it. And there is no alternative to it. Come on, let's clap our hands and pray. Amen. You may be seated. And so, that's how we're starting and that's what we're doing. I don't want to see us ever get away from that. If there's not a moving of the Spirit... Pentecost is not a set of rules nor of beliefs. Pentecost at its core is dynamic. Dynamism in Pentecost is not an added feature that some churches have and some churches don't. If you don't have the moving of the Spirit, you don't have a Pentecostal church. If you don't have people responding, you got something else. You got some kind of hybrid, but you don't have a Pentecostal church. A Pentecostal church is not just a name, it's a dynamic that moves in the midst. How many of you know what I'm talking about tonight? Well, let's give him a little praise right now. Hallelujah! Amen. And I might just say without elaborating further than necessary... There's not anything going to ever replace the preaching of the Word of God. Tearing a hole in your jeans and sitting on a little stool for the sake of effect. Trying to lecture the Word of God into people's minds with logic rather than anointing. Try to get them saved without ever confronting them. Trying to get away from the fact that the gospel polarizes. There is no such gospel. The gospel challenges. The gospel polarizes. The gospel confronts. It's the nature of the gospel. And when the preacher gets so cowardly or so unlearned in the ways of the spirit that he thinks he's going to merge people into the church, he's got another thought coming because the world's going this way and the spirit's coming this way. And when the Holy Ghost hits, you're never going to find another way except it's going to hit like a bomb and it's going to burst into the line of human history and it's going to create chaos in the minds of carnal people but it's going to save the hungry and it's going to bring deliverance and revival to the world come on let's pray the holy ghost is here tonight let's praise him again let's really lift our hands there's no telling what god will do tonight if we'll let him
You may be seated. The third step in the development of the earth was what the voice of God said when it said, let there be light, enlightenment. The word we would use today is revelation that Brother Townley preached about this morning. Haven't we heard some preaching, my Lord, in this conference from the first night on? Hallelujah. Amen. And I want to tell you that as apostolics, it's a sad day when we forget the lesson that we can't do anything without revelation. Amen. I would propose to you that the startling successes that the WPF has already had, and they are startling and they are successes, uh, I would say that the reason that is happening uh, is because of revelation. It's not based upon a preconceived program. It is free of all of the trappings of personal ambition. It is just saying, all right, God, if you've got something to do, you've got a bunch of people you can reveal it to. And if you reveal it to us, God will have the courage to walk in the light as you are in the light and present that light to the world. And that's it. It's plain. It's simple, but there's no dynamic on earth as powerful as the spirit of revelation that sweet into a congregation and frankly I feel that spirit here tonight no telling what God will do for us and in opening our minds if we'll open our hearts to him in the rest of this service tonight oh let's praise him again hallelujah because our world lies in darkness the world doesn't know itself The world has no way of knowing itself. There is no light except it comes from outside of the world. Sunshine is a a daily witness that the only way to get enlightenment on earth is from outside of earth. It has no light within itself. Man is in darkness. The world is in darkness. And darkness equates to hopelessness. That's why you don't find one one Bible writer writing about Saturday. They write about him hanging on a cross on Friday. They write about the pain. Pain, Friday is equated with pain. Uh, The pain of the human race is written about and talked about and exemplified in Jesus Christ. Uh, They all wrote about Sunday, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the resurrection and all that that entailed. But nobody wrote, all of the newspaper reporters were off on the Saturday of the crucifixion. Uh, Nobody says a single word in the Bible or anywhere else in history about Saturday. Why? Because there was nothing to say because the world is hopeless Uh, that's the word for Saturday there's nothing to say there's nothing to do there's nowhere to go there's no way to get out Uh, they're in prison Uh, they're blind that's the world we live in that's the biblical picture of our world I don't care what kind of arts they come up with I don't care what kind of uh, uh, discoveries they come up with Uh, in terms of a, a way to escape the hopelessness of earth there's no way out they're living in a Saturday world and you and I are preaching in a Saturday world but thank God Sunday has already taken place and the spirit of revelation rose from the grave and the spirit of revelation is here and it's in the Holy Ghost in our hearts and the light of God has come and the son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings we've got the only thing in the world that's going to help the world don't let somebody mind that out of you or make you think it's not that it is that it is the hope of the world and it is the only hope of the world Come on, let's get on it tonight and just love him a little bit and just magnify him a little bit. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And while we're here, we might as well say that the very next part of that verse says, And God divided the light from the darkness. There is no earlier doctrine in the Bible, except what I've just preached to you, than the doctrine of separation.
Separation is not a secondary doctrine. Separation is a part of enlightenment. The Spirit and the Word always bring light, and light always brings separation. But the Bible says God saw that the light was good. When you've got light that brings definition and separation between light and darkness. Uh, When you've got preaching that tells people the difference that this is light and that is dark. uh, That's not a negative. Uh, That is the core of Christianity and of revelation. uh, That you understand that that's dark and this is light. And let me tell you. Light cannot come from darkness. That's why what Brother Odom preached Wednesday night is so true. I'm not on some bandwagon. I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth tonight. You can't have people who are unclean and and, and are full of sins and silliness of all kinds. Come and sit in your living room and feed your kids and feed you and still have light. You're going to have darkness. Amen. That's just, that's just good sense to know that you want to get all of that out of your house. Get all of that out of your heart. Get all that out of your music. Get all that out of your books. Come on, let's praise him again. I just want to take a moment there to say it's not cool to say dark is light and light is dark. And it does matter. And how much anointing is a service does depend upon the degree of holiness. And when people come to our church and they do it all the time and say, we love what we feel here, but they have a problem sometimes choking down the reasons that it's there. And the reasons that it's there is our hearts and souls and minds are purely on Jesus. uh, And they're not filled with all of the crud of the world. Uh, When you give up the one, you're going to give up the other. You got to connect the dots. Amen. And so God's doing all this, moving towards the creation of man, formation of a, of a man and a woman. But before all that can happen, before there can be viable, and after the fall, revival. That's why we don't have vivals. We have revivals. But the first one was a Bible. Bless God, didn't we have a great Bible? And some folks want to know why they can't have revival. Well, because environment is a prerequisite. What I've just been preaching about, light and dark, is part of environmental preparation. You get it all out. I know preachers here tonight that people are shocked that haven't been around them the last few years uh, because when they knew them earlier, they weren't standing for the things uh, that the WPF identifies as important and criteria for determining light and darkness. Uh, but one day they got enlightened. Uh, you say, Well, I don't see it. That's because you're in darkness. Uh, Well, I I can't see it. That's because you're in dark. You'll never see it as long as you're influenced by darkness. But when the light comes in, they went into their churches. They said, saints, with tears in their eyes, they went into their church and said, we're getting rid of this and we're getting rid of that. And we're going to quit going to these places. And the people of God are not the people that's the problem. It's the preacher that wants it himself or doesn't have the courage to stand up and say, this is the way. Walk ye therein. Well, I'm preaching better than you're responding, but you're doing pretty good.
And so before you can have a Bible, you got to have an environment. And I'm just going to tell you, you can sit around and run your mouth and criticize everything. I love you. Not many, but a few here need a little spanking, so whack, take it. You say, well, you're not going to do that to me. Whack, you need it. Your attitude stinks. You're the one that needs it. <laughs> when everything's not just like I want it. Well, it's not just like I want it either, but it's a whole lot better than being out there in the wilderness somewhere. My God, we're going to have to keep working on it a long time. Amen. And as long as we're all human, we're never going to get it perfect. But you got to say, it's better than where we were. And we're moving forward in Jesus' name. But before man can be ever, can ever be created, there's... There's, there's, there's complex elements that have to be gathered and put together and synchronized. And someone says, well, why does it just, just happen for so-and-so? Well, it doesn't just happen for anybody. It just looks that way to those who enter the picture later in the development. It looks like it's just happening, but you weren't there when all of the elemental stuff was being done, like puzzle pieces that are, this must be placed here and that must be placed there. And not only place but these things have to be properly sequenced and there's a whole sophisticated constellation of seemingly unrelated elements some here and there that are all necessary here's a sun 93 million miles away and it has to be a certain distance and it seems unrelated to pluto but it's not ever all of all of this just why well we're gonna we're gonna make this man but before we make this man, we've got to worry about Pluto. We're going to make this man. Well, before you can make the man, you, you've got to get all of this stuff. And then, and then you've got to get the, the, the earth elements all set up to proceed just so. And there's particular alignments and orbits and rhythms are necessary. Leadership is not just a duh. There is a, there's a revelatory learning process to it. And there's balanced combinations necessary of light and heat and land and seasons and moisture and all of the rest of it. All of that must precede the entrance of life to create what God wants to. And uh, there is no life without a preparation of place. All of this was part of preparation of place. And there has to be the creation of sustainable sources of nutrition. And all of this has to precede human uh, arrival. And so a place is a valuable treasure that God invests a whole lot in creating before we ever get to the Bible. And all of it has to be there, uh, not, only, not only here, but the whole complex has to work together. And uh, it doesn't stop there. The, the earth is narrowed down again. The Bible takes the idea of place way beyond just the preparation of the earth itself. It takes him to Eden, which means delight. We had time tonight, we talk about the place God gives us as a place of delight. And uh, it means delight and pleasure. It's not just any place or some place or every place. It's God's place. You're in a local church, God called you, God put you there. You get a better job in another city. You better pray long and hard. Could it be the will of God? Yes, but you better get counsel. You better pray long and hard. You better think a long time. You better consider your children. You better consider the few. You better consider the will of God. Why? Because place, once you lose it and another takes your habitation, you can look back and wish you had it back. But once you lose place in your church, in your fellowship, in your peer group, in people that preach it's a big deal to have a place. Don't treat it lightly. And there's a high degree of particularity in the Bible about this. 
Eden was a particular location. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward. And then he puts it even closer and he says it's by these four rivers and he names them. There's a high degree of specifics involved. It's a boundaried place. It's a defined place. God's land is never. I can't stay here, but let me just drive it home the best I can. Is never an unboundaried place. God's place is never a freedom from boundaries. It's a freedom from that which is outside those boundaries. That the boundaries protect you from being tyrannically brought back under slavery of those things. The wilderness is always an untamed place. The enemy of gardens. The place of untamed and feral and undomesticated spirits. They're wild. They're untamed. Isaiah talks of Satan who made the earth a mess and said... And then you're in the wilderness. It's a place of satyrs and jackals and owls. It's a place where, uh, where hardly anything can live. Uh, but when Jesus went to feed the 5,000, he was on the side of the Sea of Galilee that was wilderness. Uh, out in the desert. They're synonymous. Wilderness and desert. Uh, and he's out in the desert. Uh, amen. And I don't know if you ever noticed it or not. Uh, but the first time I noticed it, I didn't know what it meant. But I took note of it. Uh, but it says, and when it was time to feed them out in the wilderness... Uh, Amen. He prepares a place for me in the presence of mine enemies. Uh, the wilderness is the place of the demonic. Uh, when Jesus goes to the Mount of Temptation, he goes to a place of wilderness. Uh, and the devil is there. Uh, and, and every force of hell and the beast are there. Uh, and all that that symbolizes is there. But when he's going to feed the 5,000, uh, the Bible says, uh, and he had them set out in companies. But that's not all it says. And it says he had them set on green grass. Uh, out there in the desert where there is no grass uh, where it seems like you're never going to have a breakthrough where it seems like the devil owns everything when jesus gets ready to feed people out there he's gonna set he's gonna grow some grass uh, he's gonna make a lawn it's not just gonna be a pile of weeds uh, and you're gonna be able to say sit down here in the midst of a desert and a wilderness uh, where there's devils everywhere god's gonna feed you the bread of life Oh my God, let's praise him tonight. Uh, Canaan. Eden is the precursor of Canaan. Canaan is the garden of Eden extended. From a man, Adam, to a nation, Israel. And is indicative for you and I of the church being the place from which we launch. If you forget everything else I said, ponder this long and hard. The original intent of God in the Garden of Eden was for man to take dominion and expand that garden until the whole earth was the Garden of Eden. The idea when God gave to Abraham Canaan land... It was that Canaan land would expand and its influence would go around the world. Both of those give us little pieces of a theology of mission of what the church is to be doing. You have a land first. And after you have a land, you expand out of that land. You, that's where your supply line comes from. That's where your materiel comes from. That's where things behind the scenes are set up to make it work. Uh, and, 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 and the church goes out from there. And it does its work. And it moves forward. But it's got to have the place first. Uh, it's got to have a place where the families can live. It's got to have a place where things can be grown. Where crops can be grown. It's got to have a place uh, where there's vineyards. Uh, but Canaan is like Eden in this way. He said, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. The any land God ever gave was a sweet land. It's going to have honey. It was a nutritious land. It's going to have milk. He said, I'm going to give you a vineyard you didn't plant. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. Who built them? God said, I had them built for you. I hired it out to a bunch of heathens to build those houses just for you. I've got whole tracks built just for you. And they planted the orchards for you. And now I want you to go into the land that I've given you, which is 
is Canaan. And it's the place that I'm giving to you. God's people. There is no such thing as a discussion in the Bible of God's people without God's people having place. And let me just say this about place. Place has a concrete element to it. You can't just float. Somebody says, well, the place isn't perfect. The WPF is a place. Every group is a place. Every culture is a place. And I, well, I'm... I'm going to protect myself from any possibility that the place would go wrong. So you're standing out there in the desert and there's demons everywhere and you're by yourself, but you don't see what's all out there. Let me just say, you can go home and think about what I'm saying later, but I want to tell you, Christianity was never intended to be an individual religion, period. Everybody has to receive it individually, but Christianity is a communal religion. And when Jesus said, teach us to pray, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, what's the first word? What's the first word? Oh, no, it's me. The very first word lets you know it's our father. You're my brother. Listen, you can make a decision to go out here and act like I don't exist if you want to. But I do exist and we all exist. And we're all going to have to have each other one way or another. We've got to learn that it's our father which art in heaven. And not just my father which art in heaven. Turn to your brother or sister and say I appreciate you. You may be seated. Man, I would just say you can't put a price tag on fellowship. All of you are waiting, all of you that are waiting, and I think it'll happen. I'm with you. Waiting for what's the next big thing the WPF did. Well, my God, it just did something last night that's so historic. Let's at least get the pledges in before you start clamoring for the next thing. I mean, we haven't assimilated this yet. Somebody said last night, and I'm with them, if the WPF never did one other thing in missions except produce these Bibles by the tens of thousands and get them in the hands of people around the world that are non-apostolic as well as apostolic, you can't find a better missionary effort than that. We want to do more. We want to do more. But I'm just telling you, that alone is revolutionary. Because it's born out of revelation and not out of program. Well, come on, let's praise him again. But there is a vital difference between Eden and Canaan. Before the fall, God gives the garden without contention. But to get the land after the fall, you have to contend for it. And God told Moses, Deuteronomy, rise up. Begin to possess it. And speaking of Og, Og the hog, God says to Moses, contend with him in battle. There will be battles. You got to contend to get there. You got to contend to stay there. You've got to contend to expand from there. Are we certain of victory? Yes. But someone said there is no resting certainty. There is only a fighting certainty. There will always have to be the vigilance to keep the land as you expand the land. And you've got to know who and what to fight. Moses, confront and engage Pharaoh. Moses! Don't engage Esau and Moab. Moses, 
Engage Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. And so you've got to know what to fight. We don't want to contend against dying institutions. We don't want to fight people who don't want to be apart. We don't want to contend with people that are off on some sidetrack. We want to love them, but we want to stay focused on what God has revealed. We have nothing else except what God has revealed. He's revealed the message. He's revealed separation. He's revealed revival. He's revealed fellowship. He's revealed ways to penetrate our world. Amen. Those, those are things that we know that are not going to change and are irrevocable. So I'm winding down here. There's four movements to possessing the land. They take a lot longer than I'm going to take. One is exiting the land, which I've preached about many times. This is deliverance. It's deliverance from the world of bondage to personal doubts that this room is filled with tonight. We have been enculturated by our society and by the voices of doubt that at the bottom are demonic but just look cultural. That say you can't do that. We have the dawning of our identity as something with definition like the earth had. We have that obscured and the awareness of that is kept from us. Our own loved ones keep us from that. Wives can keep their husbands from it or vice versa. Parents can keep their children from it. Oh, I don't want them going to Hope Corps. They may get hurt. They're 20 years old. There's American soldiers that are 19 years old that are giving their lives fighting with machine guns to keep freedom in the world. And we're worried about our little hot house kid that's 20 years old. We need to, they're not going to survive as an apostolic anyway. If they're going to be that kind of person somewhere, you've got to cast their bread upon the waters and believe that in many days it's going to return and it won't return void. This isn't about the latest fashion of whether it's wide or narrow, wide or narrow. It's not about the latest colors or kind of shoes. My God, when you get caught up in that, you're moving towards effeminacy. You've got to understand that it's about doing what God said. It's about transforming the world. It's about coming out of yourself and saying, I will not be held in bondage to these fears any longer. I don't care if I make a fool out of myself. I'm coming out of here. I don't care if the lights go out and stay out. What I'm preaching is the truth. I'm telling you tonight, we got to get a grip on this. If you don't like Hope Corps, then find a better program and bring it and suggest it so that we can get on with the job of making strong, robust, stalwart soldiers out of our kids. Come on, let's clap our hands and praise Him. But don't sit around and gripe and rot on the bench. Come on, we've got to get the job done. So there. While I'm preaching this, there's a Saturday morning yard sale going on in the apostolic movement. They're selling doctrine for a dime on the dollar. Holiness jewels that are too valuable to price are going for a quarter apiece. Here! Take this precious cardinal doctrine and sell it next to the snake oil. Hawkers of leftovers. Yes, sir, we're going back to Egypt and we're going to call it progress. 
We like our stadiums. We like, we like to worship their gods by clapping our hands and stamping our feet at their entertainment venues. The Bible says God has no pleasure in the legs of a man or a horse. That means God doesn't want us involved with, with, with admiring and adulation being given to sports heroes. I don't even have one ounce of discomfort preaching what I'm preaching. There's people in this room that's been there. There's people in this room that came out of that. There's athletes all over this room. I'm just telling you, you've got to get a hold of saying, I'm not giving myself to that. I'm going to give myself to the kingdom of God and become strong. Your kids don't need their pictures in their bedrooms. They need pictures of apostolic leaders and people that are people of God and men and women that are doing something that's eternal. Somebody says, do you hate those people? Of course not. Are you crazy? I love those people. I want them to be saved. But they're not leading me around. And they're not leading my children around. I'd have to say, no, 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 no. That's not where we're going. You don't know it, but you're walking down a bad road. We're going to walk on the road, the righteous, holy road that says this is where the power of God lies. You know why I'm not afraid of this kind of preaching? Because God always anoints it. When it's all said and done, if you'll just go ahead and do it, the power of God will come down. The Holy Ghost will come in. Revival will flow. The supernatural will take place because God always validates His Word. Oh, let's praise Him again. Amen. You either come out or you don't. You can't stand with one foot on the land, the other on the boat. There's a time. There's a time for this group. And when that time goes, it's a long time sometimes till any kind of cycle of hope comes back by. This is true of individuals. This is also true of groups. And I might just say, and this is a cardinal tenet of the WPF. Don't wait on the group. This is one of our core revelations as far as I'm concerned. That is that the group is not the category of spiritual awakening. The individual is the category of spiritual awakening. Get it for yourself. And when we all come together, that power coheres. Oh, my Lord. Enter in a new land. You got to get out. Then you got to get in. Never ends. You always got... You always got some kind of something to contend about. And when you... Start to get in. No more nightlight. Moses, I'm turning out the nightlight on the babies. There's no more pillar of fire by night when you go into that land. They're going to have to learn to deal with the dark and bring the light. And furthermore, there's not going to be any more Gerber baby food. That's laying on the ground every morning when they get up. They're going to have to learn to eat the old corn of the land. They're going to have to figure out how to grind it and how to make flour and how to make cornbread. And I started to say catfish, but they didn't eat catfish. But cornbread and beans.
You get it. You got to join the grown-ups somewhere. The grown-ups don't always get their way. But we go on anyway. We continue. The main thing is, is to find something that you can live for and something you can die for. And this is a fact of history. Good job last night. Our good brother from Africa. Brother Aston. About the Giants. But here's something that people don't think about. There is no history in the world of giants being found anywhere on earth except in the land that God gave to his people. And secular historians validate that the giants were there. And Suetonius, a Roman historian, says that during the time of Jesus, there were museums in Palestine that still had these giant human bones and people couldn't figure out how there could have ever been people that big. That's not just the Bible. That is also history saying this, this, this is what we saw. But the Bible tells us that that's where the giants were. There weren't giants anywhere else recorded in history except, what does that tell you? It tells you that there's, when you go in, you have to say, the first time I see something, that's what the spies saw. That's why they said we're like grasshoppers in their sight. uh, Because they were confronting these things. uh, If they were going, is the world gigantic from what our brother preached this morning? That in the next five years, maybe eight, nine billion people? And how are we going to do it? But in the middle of that, didn't you know that there's a Holy Ghost revival going on? That right, listen to me, that right this minute, people who keep track of such things estimate that 10% of the world is receiving the Holy Ghost and that it's going faster all of the time. And right behind that is coming revelation of truth because the Spirit will lead and guide you into all truth. And people are getting baptized in Jesus' name by the hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Hey, we don't have to be big to do it. We just got to have the right bat to hit the ball called earth. Uh, Amen. And knock it with revival out of the park and have what God wants to give to us. Ah, musicians come. I want to close by saying... All my life, I've listened to people say, don't go too far. Be careful now. The more raw versions of that was, he's a nut. Trying to do that is so bizarre, he's got to have lost his mind. Many of you have heard it too. But I just want to tell you, you need to get ready. Because prophecy and prudence rarely march together. Being proper when faith is working and lightning is flashing and thunders rolling and things are bursting open that are so dramatic that it's unexpected. I fully expect us to see more of this than we've ever seen before because God's not going to let the end times outdo him. And to all of you tonight, to all of you tonight that are saying, I'm not sure I can get a hold of that. I would just say, reason will never grasp what faith proposes. And what faith sees. You say, well, I want, now I want to guarantee it's going to all come out before we start. Well, we'll try to give you that assurance. We probably just do that by not telling you everything we're feeling. Because what faith sees does not permanently remain, but it comes and goes, and it must repeatedly arrive in the spirit of man 
that's the nature of faith. They say you can only hold one thought for three seconds, and then if you're going to think of it again in concentration, you've got to recycle it back through your mind. That's the way faith is. It's, it's, it comes, and then you have terror, and you say, oh, my God, how did I get myself into this? And, and then you have to go back and not let terror have its tyranny. You have to say, no, 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 no. Faith said, oh, thank God for faith. Then you have to come together with men of like precious faith that say no we are in this we are not backing up we are not giving up we are not doubting now we're believing God let me just tell you faith will always be disdained by the man that postures as reasonable and he will always go out to the restaurant after services like this and say well now you got to be careful of that now But I would propose to you that there is a dimension of reality that is inaccessible to intellect. And it's totally closed to analytical reason. They don't see it. They'll never see it. They'll never get it until they lay that rationale thinking down and say, I'm getting in the realm of faith. If God said it, that's it. I'm embracing it and I'm going for it. You want to know... You want to know what terror is? Terror is the dizziness which occurs when an individual spirit steps to the edge and peers down into their own possibility, which at the moment they peer is chaos. And in the dizziness of the depth of that, they back away terrified and grab for the handrails of finite existence and say, don't want to go there anymore. When Carl Jung, supposedly the great courageous, one of the fathers of psychology, stepped over the rail and looked at that, he wrote in his books, don't, I would recommend that nobody ever goes there. But I'm going to tell you, when you got faith in God, faith Excuse the language, but faith is a bet that if Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh and broke all the constraints of time and eternity, if he did it then, he'll do it now. You, you believe that that is a living dynamic that goes on to this day. And so we're going to act, amen? Because that's the, that's the inescapable expectation of revelation is that we act. And the WPF is set to act. Occupy has two meanings. We're going to occupy the ground of truth. Meaning we're going to protect it and preserve it by the grace of God. Occupy also has, that's a passive verb. It also has an active verb. Occupy means to take the land in front of you. I believe that we can do this. We can't do everything. I'm not proposing silliness. But I believe we can find where God says, what is the one bat that you can take and hit the big ball with? That will move it. And I believe God is giving that to us. And we're going to continue to walk with it. If you would, I'd like for you to get your wife, if, wives, if your husband's already up here, come up here. If you're not married and your boyfriend's here and you want to marry him, come on up here and take his hand. Shock him. <sighs> Just kidding. If your kids are here, bring them with you. I know it's crowded. Last night, move the chairs. It's okay. They're going to have to take them down anyway. Come on up close, if you would, because we all want to get as close as we can tonight.
Oh, what a beautiful sight. Let's all come. Let's sing a little bit while we're coming. Here